Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, uh, this is Jim, and welcome back to Creative Play and Podcast Network. Uh, today, I've got Dan and John from Magi Monsters here to do a interview for their new product that's coming out. Hi, Dan. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Hey. Hi. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. So, a uh, quick question for somebody who doesn't know. What is Magi Monsters? Okay, so... Uh, the way we've been telling people that are new to uh, Magic Monsters is if uh, if you've ever played a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons before, <clears throat> or, and if you've ever played a monster-catching game like Pokemon, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, any of those type of genre games, it's a marriage of both. So if you like fantasy role-playing, the campaign setting that we present is a, is a gritty fantasy role-playing world, but it has you know softer undertones of monster-catching, and there's uh, a lot of a lot of different elements that are thematic from the from that genre into it. So if you like both of them, this is the game that a person that would that plays these types of games would love. If you like one or the other, you'll probably love the experience. Okay, great. I, I know I've showed it to a few of uh, my friends because we're looking to do like a mini two v two type of binder versus binder action, and oh, go cool. ahead and uh, either tag it on to the end of this recording or put it as a separate one later on this week because I want to oh, awesome. hurry up and get this out for you guys. Because also, you guys are currently running a Kickstarter. Want to go ahead and tell me about that? Yeah, we we launched. We're about halfway in, into it right now. Um, we are we're just over. We just actually hit over sixty percent this morning, so we are uh, a little, little more than halfway to go now. Um, about seventy four hundred dollars on a goal of twelve thousand, and if we make it, we'll be able to print the book. So we are very excited. Uh, what kind of tiers do you guys have for your uh, Kickstarter? We have a lot of tiers. Um, if someone donates as little as ten dollars, they can get a starter set, which will include pre-made characters, one of each class of characters, as well as their companion monsters, and then two encounters worth of material. Um, we include two because there's there's two very different kinds of encounters. One where you're a binder facing a rival binder or someone else directing a magi monster versus your own forces, and then encounters with wild magi monsters that you can actually capture and bind to your service as well. Um, and then as you go up from there, the rewards progress. So you can get the digital version for $25. You can get online content for $35 plus the digital version. And the book starts at $50, which will probably be the retail price. And then uh, past that, there's all kinds of goodies you can get. We have a player's kit, which includes dice and combat trackers at the, I believe, the $100 tier, John, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then uh, once you get up into the higher tiers, which we've sold a bunch of already, you can actually design your own monsters that will be included in the book. So if that's something that you are interested in, it's um, something that uh, we're offering. In fact, as we're recording this, we just sold our seventh one, which means we're limited to three more left. So if you uh, if it's something that interests you, you want to hop onto that. See, that is awesome, because I have looked over the monsters, and they are pretty cool. I, myself, am currently at the binder level, so I'm really looking Thank forward you. to seeing this pass. Oh, man. We can't wait. We we are so excited about the uh, type of um, enthusiasm and feedback we've been getting on our Kickstarter page, both between emails and the comment sections and uh, all of our outreach through forums and stuff like that. People have just been flooding us with uh, 
this type of stuff. So that's that's good to hear. Oh yeah, definitely. I've been I've been reading over the comments section. You guys have gotten a lot of back and forth with everybody, keeping everybody up to date of what's going on pretty regularly as well. Yeah, we we said going into this, this is a community driven thing. Um, it's kind of the reason why we wanted to have people give us their ideas. Uh, we also um, we also believe that you know if someone's going to be giving us money, they we owe them to answer their questions as soon and as thoroughly as possible. That that's awesome. Because trust me, that definitely helps most kickstarters going on. So uh, for Magi Monster, what is the basically the default setting for it? So was, when you're playing the game, what kind of an, you know what is the the storyline for the background? Well, um, we've created a story where it, it, this, the setting that's presented in the core rulebook is that there was an old empire of um, magi that controlled the empire, and they created the magi monsters in what they in their attempt to what they would call dragons. And through whatever happened, some cataclysm happened, and the magi monster broke free and basically destroyed all of civilization. Um, we really want to leave that to the dungeon master or game master's discretion on what has happened or you know what has been lost to antiquity and what is still available. But the basic premise is, is that it's a fantasy land where there's ruins to be explored, but the world is dangerous. And the reason binders are so heroic and necessary is because they're able to bind these monsters that are roaming around wild in the world to magical crystals called dredgels through magical rituals. And that is what they can arm themselves with to survive the wild. All right, great. Uh, with the dredgels that you mentioned, uh, how common are those in, in the game world? You know, that's actually a really good question that we've been talking a lot about. Uh, John, let me throw this over to you. How, how, um, how frequent do you see a dredgel being presented? Um, they're pretty rare uh, at the moment because uh, it's, a, it's a fairly recent magical technology that... Uh, that the NPCs and, and characters have figured out how to use. So it hasn't been widespread yet. It's not to the point where everybody's managed to catch a monster for their own. There's still, uh, there's still like settlements of humans where like nobody owns a monster and, you know, all that really protects them from wild monsters is the big walls that they've built around their town. Um, and so that's another reason that, uh, binders, are sometimes respected, but also sometimes feared because people don't quite understand what's going on. They just see somebody's walking around with a monster, uh, but they they serve a huge purpose in being able to protect their their towns or protect merchants who are traveling between villages, um, things like that. Or sometimes they can use it for you know evil causes and and do shakedowns on on random peasants. Right. And Jim, I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I like that question is because it presents an interesting dynamic between what is a flavorful story setting and also what works in the mechanics of the game. Because if, if we make them something that's too rare, you, you know, players will treat them, you know, in the metagame differently. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of the best and most rewarding things of playtesting is finding that balance between what works to fit the game from a rule standpoint so players can't abuse things or, um, you know, if, if Drizzles were so rare that they were a treasure in and of themselves, I, I find that to be a very compelling story reason. 
but that doesn't always translate well into a game. So it's something that we've been playing with for a while, and it's also something that our backers have been asking us about. Not just the rarity of the jewels, but like what happens if you lose one or it gets destroyed or things like that. And that's all been the fun of the uh, of this experience on Kickstarter. Yeah, that's that's been one of the things I was thinking about. Is like, hmm. Uh, quick question I had though is, can you empty a dredgel to use it again with another monster, or is it permanently bound to that monster? In our playtests, we've tr- been able to transfer w- from one to another. Um, if you're familiar with the Dungeons & Dragons lore, we, we treat the dredgels sort of like a lich's phylactery, if you're familiar with okay. that. I'm not yeah. sure. Ex- yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you were to slay a magic monster, its essence would retreat into its dredgel, and then you can you restore it and then have it summon it again later when it's when it's healed to, to take a physical form. Um, and again, like I said, it kind of gets back to what I was talking about earlier, uh, about what would happen, and... We because Drajules are going to be a very dynamic part of the game, you can you can customize Drajules with, with glyphs and seals and things that let them do fun new things. So you can make a Drajule stronger at capturing a monster. Um, you can also make it so that if you were you put a certain glyph on it, if you use a certain technique from a monster of a certain affinity, it does more damage. Or maybe the longer the more attempts you have at binding a monster, the easier it becomes. Uh, those are just some of the examples that we've workshopped so far. So it's it's not something that I want to say 100% on yet. Um, I, I feel like we might have to, because I feel like it's going to be something that players might are going to want to do. What are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I I agree. Um, I different people are going to want to do different things. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the idea of modding out your equipment and stuff. So that, you know, I'm a huge fan of modding out your equipment and stuff. So that way, you know, you can do exactly what niche you want your player to do. Right. Especially if, from a GM point of view, that sounds like a great idea of you could have the wise man on the hill who knows how to add a glyph to your jewel. What are you going to do for him to get that glyph on your jewel? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's all. That's all part of you know storytelling and you know finding finding that thing that's going to motivate your players. So that's uh, the, I agree with you there. Uh, another quick question is, uh, what's the dynamic going to be between a binder and the magi monster it just captured? Have you guys set any game mechanics into that, or is it just going to be player flavor? It's it's actually a very common question that we've that we've gotten when, when we've play tested it. Uh, and, I, and when I've been running the games, I have always made it that the monsters were not happy. <laughs> um, they were still they were still bound to some kinds of servitude. But it's really it, it's really interesting question you ask because uh, our playtesters will specifically spend time developing or role playing that relationship with their new monsters. Um, I can remember in the playtest that I ran with John, even though there was you know a plot in front of them that they could follow. The players would be like, no, I want to get some food for my monster and bring him out and make him meet the team. And, you know, we're going to go run a lap together and build build up a rapport. And team. that is a that's really fun to see from players. The old team builder moment. Hey, yeah. I, all I got to say is Charmander, you know, Charizard, you know, everybody knows that old Pokemon yeah. dynamic. And that was always a great tongue in cheek because I yeah. can I and can see quite a few of my players pulling that at their table if the monster doesn't want to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's. It's an important part of the game too. I mean, the the game master is going to be role playing all these monsters that are in the party. I mean, the the player has the player is going to treat them like an NPC. They're still under their under their control. Uh, but you know, if a monster is not happy, that you know that player, there's a psychological element to that. There. I mean, and with the monster that John uh, played, I think he, <laughs> I think that relationship, John, between you and your monster, was one of the most one of my favorites from uh, from our playtesting <laughs> sessions. I I uh, 
I, I role-played both myself and also the monster at times, and, and Dan kind of picked up on the personality of the monster, and it was pretty funny, the interactions <laughs> we had with it. <laughs> he would, like, buy it bows and stuff like that, just things that, you know, would make it feel pretty, and uh, it, was, it, was very, it was very fun. <laughs> I can see it now, the Magic Monster, you know, pet show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned Pokemon, uh, you know, clearly a lot of influence from Pokemon and other monster catchers in here. So, you know, if, it, if this is something, if you've played, you know, Pokemon on the Game Boy or, or the card game or anything like that, and, you, and you're just kind of interested in role-playing games, you get a lot of that out, a lot of that outlet here through Magic Monsters to, to have that experience. Well, so that's a cool bridge because it'll bring the Pokemon crowd to the role-playing crowd. If, oh, if, yeah, if they're not already in it, but, you know, I know a lot of folks... <laughs> Magic Monsters in... is, a, is a gateway RPG. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to be where the gateways. <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, to branch the generations of gamers, because now, now you have gamers, like, maybe in their late 30s, early 40s, that have uh, been playing D&D for years, and they have kids that are, like, 7 and 8 and playing Pokemon, and this is just, it's so perfect for the two of them to play together, and they can bond. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I see Magi Monsters as a perfect family game, you know. That way you can sit down as a whole family unit and get to play it. Oh, so that yeah. way the kids can have the cool monster angle, the parents can have the role-playing angle. Uh, I know oh. I know quite a few role-playing families, so... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you guys need to look into this Kickstarter, because it looks really fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. So, uh, quick question. Uh, will there be any monsters that can't be bound in the game? Like for adventures and things? Not currently. Um, it, it's... It's a great idea. In fact, we actually had a backer just comment on something along this uh, along these lines where he said, "What if there was a class that did not use the dredge rules to bind monsters? What if they, you know, they were like an aesthetic? They completely uh, they completely did everything based off friendship or building an empathy." Um, we just because we've been almost as uh, we're, we're very engrossed in the mechanics of the game. So having a monster like that would mean a serious system, not change, but addition. So at this point, we don't have something like that. Um, we've, we've we've given ourselves a year to have at least two playtest periods. If we find that that's something that enough players are asking for, it's definitely something we'll consider putting in. That's cool. Yeah, because definitely we definitely thought about uh, having uh, possibly like a legendary monster that you know there's maybe only one of in the game, but it's really really hard to catch, uh, and you like yeah. hear rumors about it for maybe like your first couple sessions of gaming, and you go, oh man, we got to track down this legendary monster. Yeah, and, and then have the group fight over who gets to catch it. <laughs> yeah. so we were That's at, the real team building exercise. Who gets the, the plus five sword? <laughs> we were we were playtesting for a group at Unpub in Baltimore yesterday, and that was like their first question. It's just like, well, hold on, if can I catch this and give it to her? And I was like, yeah, of course. So, you know, that's that's part of building a team, and you know that that type of relationship. And they're like, oh, this is awesome! I can't wait to do it. But yeah, in in previous test plays, if you find that one that you know, you're like we're never going to get this opportunity again, it just becomes a free for all. Everyone just starts <laughs> trying to catch it. And it's uh, but it's it's definitely a very fun part of the game because monsters don't like being bound, so they will if they can't overcome the odds, they'll just run away. And, and hey, that's the you know, the whole. The fangirls chasing the, the, the movie star type of deal. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for the, for the system-wise, uh, what kind of dice system do you guys use? Um, we, we have gone through a couple different iterations, and the way that we ended it was most attacks and checks are made on rolling two six-sided dice. And for skill checks, you know, trying to get people away, if you have a D&D mindset, it's not, they're not tied to skills or anything like that. It's just 
two six-sided dice, and then you can buy character abilities that improve your odds for certain types of skills. It really it really wears down on a lot of the unnecessary record-keeping, in our opinion. For a uh, combat system, two six-sided dice, and then you add your uh, attack, your, whatever score it is you're using to hit, which is designated by the monster's technique that it uses. And then if that is equal to or higher than the defense of the target, it's a hit, and then you apply the effect. Um, but then we have a lot of other things that will modify that. So each Magi monster has a grit pull. Uh, a grit is just an abstract representation of how hard it is, how how willing it is to fight for its binder. And when it spends grit, it can upgrade its attack dice instead of d6s to d8s. So it's going to give you a bump in the median score that you're going to roll, and odds are it's going to give you better chances to hit and much better odds at getting a critical hit. The problem is, is once you run out of grit, you don't have the, that flexibility anymore. So you're not going to, you know, it's part of grit management as part of the strategy. And then past that, binding, uh, using a binding die or binding a magic monster, we'll use a d20. And then all of the techniques, we'll use the dice that are commonly associated with Dungeons & Dragons. So D4s, D8s, D10s, D12s, all those fun ones. Awesome. Basically, grit's there to make sure when you want to do it and you want to do it well, boom, there's your grit. Yeah, absolutely. Grit gives you uh, other options, too, because you can, you, can you can always use it to increase your chance to hit or increase your damage, um, but certain attacks also have an option where it's, if you spend a grit, maybe it does something extra, maybe something that it already is doing, it does it better. Um, so certain certain abilities uh, use grit, and and uh, and certain classes get more uses out of it than others. Yeah, like the like one of the things that John mentioned there, like you can there's range attacks where if you spend grit before making the attack roll, you can increase the range of the attack. Um, and there's sometimes where you can use grit to change the action type. So um, there's there's a technique that lets magic monsters leap lo- like long distances. And instead of making, instead of using that as a movement action, they can use it as what's called a round option, which is a, which means they could do that in addition to moving. And one of our players was using that uh, a lot yesterday during the demo at the Unbub. Yeah, I was looking at the Alchemist classes, like one of my favorite out of all of them. So speaking of classes, (laughs) what classes do you guys have for the binders? Well, I'll start with the Alchemist. Um, And the Alchemist is actually what John test played for us during our test play sessions. And we we are really excited about that because the alchemist necessitated a lot of rules change, especially on experience points. Um, they're all about uh, creating and changing things with affinities, um, the actual the actual abilities of the magic monsters, and they can actually breed magic monsters. So um, when they breed magic monsters, their their bred monsters grow and experience so much faster compared to a caught one. Uh, so they can um, catch up and, and play and be active in, in the game as well. Um, they're very, very fun class, more of a support class than I'd say than an outright combat class, but uh, tons of flexibility. And they give the team a lot of options because it got to the point where John was um, basically a monster breeder for hire uh, at one point <laughs> in the playtesting we did. Um, in addition to that, we have the Concordant, who has who was born touched by magic. Uh, the lore of our game is when the <coughs> monsters were created back in the old Empire you know, magical affinities were much more common, but the cataclysm caused them to become much more erratic, and since then, humans have been born with a touch of magic that they can control to a limited effect, but they have a synergy when they control or direct magic monsters that have have an affinity that they share. Um, we also have the knight, which is your classical uh, hero, your, your classical monster catcher. Um, they are a straightforward combat class. They're excellently trained, and they're very good at what they do, directing their, their magic monsters in battle. We have the ranger, 
who is more of a grizzled um, outdoorsman. They're very, very focused from spending their time out in the wild, which means they can ignore distractions, and they're actually the best at actually binding monsters to their jewels. Um, we have the Scoundrel, which is more of like an archetypal rogue. Not so much in appearance, but in attitude. They believe that they are uh, owed what's due to them, and they will do any. They will take any means necessary to get what's done. Uh, this translates into a lot of dirty fighting and a lot of uh, you know underhanded attacks, attacks that cripple their opponents with with like conditions like poison or being caught on fire, things like that. And then lastly, uh, help, help me out here, John. Which one am I missing? The scholar. Your oh favorite. yes. Oh yeah, my favorite. The, the scholar is a uh, is a class that has dedicated more time to research and rediscovery of these techniques that have been lost to the old empire. And while they are not great combatants, they're the most unpredictable because we mentioned before how you can change the techniques that your your monster uses, or you can you can augment them. They can do it a step further by by changing these techniques in ways that no other class can. So fighting a scholar means you know having the most unpredictable battle. That, that's a and that's a great breakdown for him. Uh, <laughs> I know, much, I get a little long-winded. It, it, no, 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 definitely. It, the, each one deserves a few few minutes to talk about. Heck, and yeah. the nice thing is, it fills out each. You know, somebody's gonna have gonna be able to find one that they like. You know, and then of course add the character element to it, which is actually the the role playing to it. Right, and, and that's one thing I should mention. Um, we we're, we we really believe in not being you know bound by uh, a lot of the rules. So. A lot of the classes have archetype abilities, but a lot of the abilities that a binder can get are not limited by their class. A lot of them are, are a general pool that any character can select from. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. So, and of course, you know, the binders can help the monsters during the fight. But one quick question is, how does a binder uh, fight other binders? Can they have just binder versus binder in- encounters? Yeah. In fact, this, you know, kind of getting back to the system um, when we first started this, binders had different stats than monsters did because we did not want to encourage monster versus binder fighting, but it, the, that was really, really tough on a mechanics viewpoint to keep that. Uh, so all the same binders, all the binders have the same stats as the monsters. It's just much, much less so. Um, so if two binders wanted to fight, they could resolve their attacks the same way that you, you could do combat. All right, excellent. See, I'm a huge fan of that, of having the same same stats it's just to the 10th degree for the monsters because yeah, binders yeah. are squishy and taste good with ketchup yeah you, you got it <laughs> there's a reason that they're afraid of the monsters yeah. <laughs> so uh for for the default setting have you guys set up any uh antagonistic binders out there already a uh, team rocket so to speak <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we've got a bunch of um of antagonists ready um, there's the, the first adventure path that we're writing is called Echoes of the Lost Empire, and it, it literally has to deal with establishing the world setting of, of you know, elements of the old empire creeping back into play now that binders have become prevalent. Um, so there's there's those you know how, whatever you want to call them like heretics or or, or you know th- these old these people that are clinging to this lost civilization. Um, there's also just binders that have gone rogue because the power of of being able to direct or capture a magic monster is incredible. So, you know, you have you have those types of binders that are, are willing to exploit that power. And then there's also cultists, marauders, this the typical type of thing you'd expect in a setting where there's a dystopia, where the, the world's been ruined. Um, uh, as far as, like, a big bad evil guy or anyone like with a specific name, we've actually left some of that up to player-created content for the Kickstarter. 
Uh, you can at a certain level you pledge, you can actually help us create an antagonist that will appear in the adventure path. Uh, it's not something that we've developed with a name yet. Okay, great. Because, uh, hey, I'm a GM, and I love to come up with the worst big bad guy. And I could just see some really talented, concordant 12-year-old who's got Godzilla and, <laughs> and just controls a town. That's awesome. <laughs> you bring me what I want, or I let Godzilla loose. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> So uh, for game mechanic-wise, is this going to be a, a grid map-style game or a theater-of-the-mind style? It's or more both? of a grid. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it, it definitely lends, it lends itself to being played on a grid. But you can play it as a theater-of-the-mind kind of kind of game. We assume that most of the yeah. stuff out of combat would, would be that way. John actually yelled at me because when we were getting our um, con materials together, I, I wrote all the ranges and feet. Instead of squares, and it really confused everybody. <laughs> we always use uh, we always use a combat grid, and always have for as long as I can remember. For even for other role playing games, um, so it, we just kind of naturally went that route when we were writing Magi Monsters. Uh, I, I played a lot of Theater of the Mind with Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons before a lot of that stuff came into play. So I, I still like that, but I think John's right. It's it's probably better for role playing for you know the the social encounters. Combat, I think, in any role-playing game is better when you can see that, especially when you have a, a strategy element. Yeah, I definitely agree about that one. Usually I always try to keep my games 50-50. If it's not combat-related, they don't need 100% representation of what the area looks like. But, Absolutely. So that way it leads a little more freedom to the players getting to ad-lib of what's going around them and stuff like that. Yeah. Anything yeah. that helps pull a player into it, it's a great thing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so now that we've pretty much covered most of the, the questions I had about Magi Monsters itself, uh, your, your guys' company, uh, Last Night Games, and that's K-N-I-G-H-T, which I like. How long have you guys been around? Um, Jesus, well, we've been friends for years, but the company was formed, what was it, April? Yeah, April was our official formation date, but we've, we've known each other for over 10 years. I met Dan, in, I think, in 2002. Yeah, most first year of college, so it's been it's been a while. But and Jim, just to, we're we're late night games, and it's it's funny that you say last night games because oh, we've sorry. actually got no, no, it's <laughs> fine. It's funny because we've actually got that a couple times already, and I'm wondering if maybe uh, <laughs> maybe we should get a domain or something. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first person to say last night games. So I, I wonder if people just see that. Oh my, I'm sorry about that. So it's fantastic that you guys are basically a core gaming group who got together and made the game as a group. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we've been making games um, just among ourselves for years. Uh, you know, obviously we we play published games as well, and then uh, sometimes we'll make our own games just for fun. We made we made this back in 2012, uh, and Dan put the majority of it together because we wanted to play something that was similar to Pokemon, but with, with more of a and d setting and, and uh, rules. And so we couldn't really find anything. I mean, there was a couple online things that we saw, um, but we, we decided just to make our own system instead. And after we played it for a while, we were like, this is really fun. We should try and actually publish it. Yeah, so that's awesome. I mean, we, we we think the the best part of that was is not only just playing the game to you know enjoy the game, but like afterwards we would go out and get you know get some food and then just sit down and talk about it for four hours about what was working, what wasn't working, make a change, 
play it the next time. And then most of the times we knew what right away. Like when I told you we changed experience, how experience worked, we knew the minute we did that, that that was the right call. And, you know, being able to come into those decisions together through role playing and, and discussion has been really rewarding. And that, that goes back to you guys being together so long as a group that you're willing to be open and fluid and communicate and let things organically develop. Right. Uh, so a uh, quick question about Magi Monsters. Will you guys be hitting any conventions this or next year that you have planned? Uh, yeah, we will. We uh, Well, actually, this upcoming weekend, which is Valentine's Day weekend, we're going to Katsukon, which is in the uh, D.C. National Harbor. And that's an anime convention, but, but they're going to have a tabletop room, so we'll be there. Uh, and then we also have plans to go to Gen Con, which is at the end of July into August, and that's in Indianapolis. And... Um, uh, also, on the 21st of February, we are going to a comic book store in Pennsylvania called Planet X Comics. And uh, that's not a convention, but that's a we're going to demo the game. It's going to be the last weekend that our Kickstarter is live. So. That's awesome. Because <clears throat> it's definitely good to know that you know we'll see you guys popping around at different places so more folks can see the game and get to play it. Yeah, and ho- hopefully we'll set up a couple more uh, conventions here and there. Uh, depending on what we're available for, uh, a friend of ours he said he he'd be willing to to go to um, I think there's a Comic Con in Pennsylvania. You wanted to demo the game at? It might be Philadelphia Comic Con. I don't remember. I know, I know it's definitely Pennsylvania. I think I think it's a special kind of. I, I can't remember. It is. Wait, here it is. Central Pennsylvania Comic Con. Yeah, I knew it wasn't Philly. Yeah, it's a uh, it's in March. March 14th. All right, great. So when the game does come out, will there be any online support or online community presence for it? I'm, I'm thinking we kind of covered that, but... Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean, um, we the thing is is that we have more prepared and ready than we could possibly fit in the rulebook that we budgeted for. So monsters is one thing. Um, we, you know, we, we've, already, we've already dedicated time to having a section on how to make your own homebrew monsters because we just know especially within the past two weeks of starting the kickstarter that that's something people want to do so you know we'll probably have at least a hundred some monsters but we'll we'll have many more that we can put online um we will also have different supplements like you mentioned antagonists so maybe we could just make uh a a uh, bestiary of rival binders so to speak uh, as well as just different adventure settings, um, different gaming aids, things like that, uh, and that's actually we've rolled that into the Kickstarter as part of what we've as part of online content. Anyone that is pledged at thirty five dollars or higher will get that. That's just it's all all going to be included up front. Past that, um, we're not really set up for forums or anything like that now on our website because of our own limitations with uh, with that technology. But, I mean, it's something that I've definitely considered. I've got a couple friends that are good with that type of stuff. And we know there's already people out there talking about the game. So we may as well have it happening, you know, right there on our website so we can, you know, assist and help out. We're big on the community. So, you know, you, you see, you said that you see a lot of back and forth on our Kickstarter page. It's not going to go away anytime soon because we, we want to help our players out and we love hearing feedback from them. See, that's awesome because I, I, I do love that you guys added the Create Your Own Magi Monster on the Kickstarter. So that mm-hmm. way, if someone wants, they can make their own monster, send it into you guys, and bam, they can say, "I made that." Yep. <laughs> well, that's, that's part of the reason why we did it. It was because you know we had the, the tiers out there, and we understand two hundred fifty dollars is a lot of money. We're not asking for a lot of people, you know. We, and the fact that we've already had seventy percent of them sell already is is really 
awesome. really thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we've had people like I've had people call me. I've had friends that I haven't talked to in four years say, hey, man, I saw this on Facebook. Like, dude, you got to put this in the game. Remember when we played Pokemon and we said this would be a cool Pokemon? And I'll be like, all right. <laughs> so we've been getting emails, backer comments, stuff like that. So we just we just said we should do this. Um, and it actually happened in time that we could get it ready to to tell people about it at Katsucon too. So we're hoping uh, we're hoping we get a good pull at Katsucon with that type of stuff. That's awesome. So uh, for someone looking to start, you know, running the game with their friends, what do they need to buy to start? Just just bare minimum or to the max? What do you guys think? I'd recommend a copy of the book. Um, I, I have a hard time playing without without a hard copy of the book. I know plenty of people can do. Uh, D and D or whatever with like a digital copy, especially if they have an iPad or something like that. Uh, I like having the, the actual thing. In We're front. old. Yeah, yeah. What do we, we like hardcovers? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you'll be able to print character sheets, stuff like that. Um, especially since it's a new system, you'll you'll probably want to use character sheets. Um, and then you know, dice gaming mat is recommended, but not necessary, and whatever goes along with that. Um, because you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. The, the monsters have their own sections with their you know their traits abilities and techniques and then but the but the techniques are listed a lot like spells would be in a, in a player's handbook so you, there's a lot of back and forth referencing so instead of having to have um, you know one book where you're going back and forth the whole time you're probably going to want to write all that down in one spot where, where you can reference them um, we when, in our early versions of the games character sheets were uh, what were they like? Three inch binders. <laughs> Pretty much, they, it was. They were it, a lot. Each they were, character had basically like four or five pages of information they needed, and yeah. So a lot, of, a lot. A lot of what we've been doing is paring stuff down to the point where it's not as clunky. It's not too much record keeping, but it's still it's still complex enough that players that like having that element to combat and role playing, you know, your your conventional min maxers and number crunchers will still be able to play and love this game, but it's not going to be so much that a player is going to be intimidated by picking up a character sheet. Yeah. Awesome. But obviously if you're just if you're just like curious about it, but you don't want to fully commit to the book, um, that's one of the reasons we added the ten dollar tier where you where you just get a couple pre made characters, a couple monsters, just enough to learn the game. Yeah, that's that's why I went, I went for the binder one, just so I can have two books to go bouncing around at the table. Because you know, everybody, whenever you have, whenever you're gaming, somebody wants the book and somebody else needs the book. So that way, I've got two copies floating around on the gaming table, as awesome. well as the uh, players kit, which which is going to be a nice touch for everybody. Yeah, the players kit. We have a full set of dice, um, a full set of character sheets. We have gaming tokens, and actually, uh, we met, we, we saw a lot of places at Unpub what, that print for indie game developers, and I, I might, I, I might want to contact them about the gaming tokens, just for keeping track of status effects, things like that, uh, as well as, uh, copies of character sheets and everything professionally printed for you to use. Nice. Good choice. Yeah. Uh, I, that, the player kits make it handy because I can just hand them that while I'm using the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So uh, just as a backup plan, in case the Kickstarter doesn't happen, which, by the way, everyone out there listening, start jumping on that Kickstarter. I want it to go through for myself. I'm going to be <laughs> purely selfish here. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the worst-case scenario if, we, if you guys don't make the goal? Well, um, if we don't make the goal, um, we will, we'll take a look at our options. Um, right now, we're, we're kind of getting to the point where I feel like – if uh, we were to end right now where we're at, we, we would we would succeed if we did it on a print-on-demand. Um, we we kind of have mixed feelings on that because 
it means that, yeah, you don't have to donate as much money to us, but it also means that you're going to have to spend money in a different spot for whatever. Um, I'm not, we haven't really looked too far into that, but we know that we could really, really save a lot of money on our production budget. So we, what, what were our final number? What would we say we could do it at if we did print on uh, demand, John? We probably could. We probably could have a a goal of about seven thousand, which would mainly be for artwork, and it would be enough to for all the copyrights and, and setting up the book and everything. So then we could have provide just PDFs, uh, and then we would have some kind of print on demand option, probably through something like a drive through RPG. Yeah. Yeah. Some. Some. I mean, if and it's also going to consider by how much we miss by. Like, if we get to like eleven thousand out of twelve thousand, it's likely that if we did it again with the amount of support that we've gotten, that we could hit that number again. We really want to be able to print these books to give to you guys and to get everything to get everything through. So we're hoping that we can make it through. Um, but we, you know, it's obviously something we had to consider going into it. This is our first time on Kickstarter, so uh, the amount of research we have done on Kickstarter has been <laughs> intimidating, um, both before and after. But we're, we're pretty confident because, and I'm not sure if we talked about this earlier, we, we know that the majority of funding comes in the beginning and the end of campaigns. So we're, we're, really, we're really out there to get every, everyone we can to get on board here in the middle of the campaign, but we expect a, we expect a boost at the end because... Kickstarter will actually make you much more visible as your campaign comes to an end. Yeah, exactly. And you guys did an awesome job on your Kickstarter. I mean, for a first time doing it, you guys did a fantastic job. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> we we have been doing this since for since April, so we, <laughs> it's such yeah, a we, to have it out. <laughs> I, I would email people for advice, uh, people who had done successful Kickstarters, and this is back in like April and May, and they're like, "Wow, you're getting a jump on it now," and I'm like, "Yeah, I want to be prepared." <laughs> <laughs> It's been it's been so much fun. I mean, it's it's been more work than I think any of us thought it would be the actual the actual fundraising part of it. But it's uh it's definitely been a adventure. It, it's definitely been a lot. <laughs> but yeah, your your work is definitely showing in. I mean, you guys did a great job. Thanks. So uh, what? Quick question. Personally speaking, for both you, John and Dan, what's going to keep you up late tonight <laughs> <laughs> after this interview? Oh God! Uh, I mean, I uh, I really want to hit nine thousand dollars backing by Valentine's Day because then I get to draw a "It's Over Nine Thousand meme with Vegeta and Magi Monsters. So that's been that's been my thing. Um, I have calmed down immensely since the since we first uh, started this because the first couple first couple of days was not good for me but um yeah I'd, I'd really like to get to that point um to before next week because that's also katsukan where we're gonna have another presence at and hopefully that'll give us a bump yeah if, if uh, i agree with dan like if we could get up to 75 percent um before next weekend it would make it would make us feel really comfortable going into katsukan because we, we would be you know really almost there um and uh the funny thing is, Dan was really freaking out like the first couple days, which is when we got probably the most of our backers, because yeah. um, we had had a newsletter set up ahead of time, and we had been doing some advertising, and we had gone to we went to GenCon last year, and so once we went live, uh, a lot of people backed us right away because they knew it was coming, uh, and then like it's obviously dropped off a little bit, um, which is the norm. It drops off after your first week a little bit. But uh, 
But Dan, like right off the bat, was just like, "Oh my god, we've only got like two thousand dollars today." <laughs> He's like, "That's barely anything." And then, like a week later, where it's like, "Oh, we only had like two backers today." It feels much worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, watching a Kickstarter is like watching a kid, your your child on the bicycle for the first time, and you're like, "Go." Go, go. Oh, God, stop, fall, crash. Nothing that day. Okay, go, go, go. I mean, it, it is extremely nerve-wracking. I mean, I've, so I've, I've done a Kickstarter as well, and, and it, you just keep watching it incessantly, like, like you know, one of those people who watch their email constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you get, are not kidding. And you get yes. excited every new one you've got. You, you want to hurry and comment back to that person and say, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like that, and uh, you know, you joke, but John and I spent the day together yesterday, and that's precisely how I was. That's <laughs> been twenty minutes. So much of a kickstarter. <laughs> it could have happened. Did we get a comment? Could we get a backer? <laughs> yeah. And for the record, I do like the Kickstarter app for that because that way I can carry the phone around. And it'll tell me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, so, is there anything else that I didn't ask that you'd like our uh, listeners to know about? Um, I mean, first, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. Um, oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, we, we, you know, um, I'm thanks for the back. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, as far as anyone out there listening, um, if it's something that you're anyway interested in, uh, check us out. I mean, we will answer any questions. You, I mean, we, I think we've made that clear. We're, we're here for the community. Um, you know, even if you don't want to back us because of Kickstarter, I think you have to be a backer to ask to, to do a comment. Um, you can email us at magimonsters.com. And if it's something, you know, you're a Pokemon fan, you're a Monster Catcher fan, you're a D&D fan, this has got a little bit of something for everybody. And if you like both of those things, you're definitely going to love this. I, I just want people out there to know, you know, we didn't do any of the, any of the silly, silly backyard levels. Like, you know, we write a haiku for you or we, we scream your name while we're making a pizza or something like that. But if you want us to do that and that'll make us back you, then, like, by all means, just send us an email. Because <laughs> that is how committed we are to this. <laughs> oh, I, I will also say one of the things we've clarified very recently for our backers, uh, we've had a ton of people ask about playtesting, and only very recently have we said, hey, listen, backers are going to have the first opportunity to be playtesters. We, we have two sessions planned, one for the summer and one for the fall, and that will give us enough time to take feedback and get everything together for the actual publication of the book. So if this is something you're interested in, you got to be a backer. So that's uh, that's that's the first part. So that's uh, that's the only the only place where we kind of have to draw the line on it. But otherwise, we love hearing ideas. Uh, you do not have to be a backer if you want to contribute to Magic Monster. I know you uh, had mentioned that uh, earlier. We just put that up actually today uh, about um, about if you have an idea for something you want in this, go ahead and give it. We we will we are very open to all the community ideas. And crowdsourcing is a great thing. It is. <laughs> And uh, also about the artwork, you guys have fantastic artwork already sh- that you're showing on the website as well as on the videos. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, and, and don't forget you guys are on Facebook, too. Yes, oh, we are. All the Facebook Facebookers. Yeah, Facebook and Twitter at Magic Monsters. Yep. Yeah, Dan actually did some of that artwork. Yeah, I, I, I do a lot of the art. I do a lot of the class artwork. Um, and some of the monsters, you might not be able to tell the difference because I'm purposely trying to draw like the, the one guy that we've commissioned to do a lot of our monsters. And we have a, we have a couple artists that we've commissioned for like backgrounds and stuff like that too. It's a, it's been a fun, fun experience. That's fantastic. All right. I just like to say, Dan and John, thank you for coming on the creative playing podcast network. I'll be getting this edited and it should be out by Tuesday. I'll go ahead and shoot you an email just to let you know when it's out. And definitely I'm hoping this gets you guys more attention so we can get some more backers in the, on the uh, Kickstarter. Hey, Jim, we, we appreciate it. 
Thanks again. All right, yeah. you're, you're very welcome. All right, and uh, folks out there, thank you for listening. Hi, this is Jim from Creative Plane Podcast Network, Ragnarok and Roll, and D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First, I'd like to say thank you for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. And I just wanted to let you know that we're now on Patreon.com. It's a great site to help support us and keep us making more podcasts. And we can occasionally give you guys surprises if you're a patron. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com slash cppn. That's www.patreon.com cppn. And help us in any way you can. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.